1: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on Test Cricket by armchair critics of the game. As always, we would like to start by thanking all our listeners for their continued support. Um, Please do continue to listen to us and spread the word about our podcast to your cricket-loving friends. Uh, If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on, be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, CastBox, or anything like that. You can find us easily there by searching for Armchair Cricket Podcast. Uh, Do not forget to leave us a rating, preferably five stars, and uh, provide your feedback. You can reach out to us by email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at armchaircrickpod. You can also find us on Facebook. All links are uh, provided in the description box below. Now, um, continuing with our focus on World Cup team selection, uh, we have a special feature today on the England cricket team. Uh, We are joined today by a friend of the podcast, Nakul, from uh, Guerrilla Cricket, uh, for this section. So he will join us later uh, in this episode. Now, uh, before going ahead, I would like to introduce uh, my co-host, Ajit. Hello, Ajit. How have you been?
2: Hi, Giri. I'm doing good. Uh, well, it's been a, a tiring couple of days with work and whatnot, uh, yeah. but yeah, I mean, otherwise things are going fine. How are you?
1: Yeah, likewise, here. Yeah, I mean, I've had a quite a tough week at work, so I haven't been able to catch up with a lot of cricket that's been going on, especially IPL, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, look, look forward to, you know, um, having this uh, podcast episode recorded, uh, because I would also like to hear uh, what Nakul has to say, especially because I think uh, he has a different perspective about uh, the cricket team, uh, yeah. you know, uh, England cricket team. So, so look forward to that part. Uh, but apart from that, yeah, business as usual, I would say. Um, shall we start with uh, the trivia then?
2: All right. So the trivia question from last week was: Which New Zealand cricketer was credited as being the first pinch hitting opener in ODIs, thereafter making it a norm? from the other team perspective. So, we're already talking about the 1992 World Cup, the, hence the hint that it was a New Zealand okay. cricketer. Mm. So, uh, we did not get a lot of uh, right answers, but, uh, well, Kanna, the friend of the podcast, uh, has uh, given the right answer. The right answer is Mark Batch, who was sort of a very powerful middle-order batsman for New Zealand, mm. but, uh, you know, was promoted to open the batting for New Zealand in the 1992 World Cup by Martin Crowe, the captain. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a part of a bunch of experiments that New Zealand ran. So one of those was also opening uh, the bowling with uh, Deepak Patel, the off-spinner, for example. But uh, this one sort of paid off very well for them because they ran rampant in the group stages, if I remember right, right, in 1992. Mm -hmm. Right? World Cup. Anyway, Mark Bridget did very well in that World Cup and I think he can be credited as one of the first pinch-hitting openers in ODIs. And after this, of course, we remember Sri Lanka followed this format. Right with Sana Jayasuriya, yeah. who was also a middle order tyro being promoted to open along with Pramesh uh, Kaluivitarana and the rest as they say. Right, it's history.
1: History, yeah, indeed, yeah. Indeed. yeah fond memories, uh, especially of uh, Jayasurya and uh, Kalwitarana. But it's good to know that there was someone else who started this. Mm-hmm. That was Mark mm-hmm. Greatbatch. Uh, he was one of my favourite cricketers back then when I was a kid. You know, that was actually I, that probably is uh, uh, the first World Cup I was able to follow as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I remember him, you know, going after the bowlers in the first 15 hours. And I had never thought of, you know, p- players who were uh, trying to do that. If you remember, uh, you know, somebody, you know, a typical opener like uh, Jeffrey Boycott, for example, would he have done this ever? You know, He would rather take the shine of the ball, you know, he would uh, grind down the... Uh, the the seamers you know the same bowling attack uh, mm, in the mm. first 10 15 overs but I think yeah. that was the norm they were take you know they were continuing with test uh, with the mentality of test cricket but this mm, was mm. Uh, I think a breath of fresh air I think he he, 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 did, he did something and then I think a trendsetter in my opinion
2: of course of course mm. hence I mean we would like to give him credit for what he's been you know uh, let's say he started a trend or let's say his skip, sk- skipper did Martin Grove, mm. but it, it worked very well. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, indeed. I mean, talking of uh, Jeffrey Boycott as an opener, right? We discussed this a bit later when discussing about the final of the 1979 World Cup and how a very slow start with, uh, you know, Jeffrey Boycott and another opener, I think Edrich, it was Bill Edrich, which sort of contributed to England losing. This is when we discussed with uh, Nicole later. I mean, I'm sure our listeners can also weigh in on their opinions on this. All right. Uh, Going ahead. Let's now look on the next section, which is the IPL highlight section, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, we can quickly mention that well, uh, when Rajasthan Royals beat uh, Sunrisers Hyderabad, they were able to keep their you know their uh, chances in the tournament alive, mm. but that meant Chennai qualified. Kiri. Uh, did you have a chance to look at this match?
1: No, I only saw the uh, news later that uh, CSK you know made it through to the uh, qualifiers or eliminator, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's called now. Indeed. So they, they are top of the table now. As it stands, CSK, right? Yes,
2: yes. I mean, CSK, I think, have topped the table. And uh, well, if you look at um, if you look at what happened in this match quickly, well, David Warner provided his sort of uh, you know steady opening partnership with Kane Williamson uh, sort of opened. Now that Johnny Bairstow is gone, uh, David Warner uh, made 37 runs out of 32 balls without a single boundary being scored. Right? This was interesting. And then Manish Pandey, who came in at number three, provided the acceleration along with uh, David Warner, and he made a 61 of just 36 balls. But uh, there were not many other contributions down the order. Shankar, Shakib,ul Hassan, or Deepak kuda did not do much. As a result, they only finished with 164 for eight. And uh, in terms of bowling, Varun Aran, who came back to the pink clothing, right, uh, he um, was able to take two for 36, and Oshain Thomas, uh, who's now featuring in the IPL as well, has, uh, you know, done well. And he took two for 28. And, of course, Jaideh Unatka took two for 26 and Shreya Skopal took two for 30. So it was an overall good bowling performance. And Riyan Parag, who bowls uh, leg breaks as well, took three for 24 of his three uh, overs rather 0 for 24 out of his 3 overs mm-hmm. as a result uh, rajasthan royals had just 161 to chase and given that it's in jaipur they had the home support backing them and they got through very comfortably uh, ajinkya rahane who opened the batting right uh, scored 39 out of 34 balls and then Liam livingston provided the ballast uh, or let's say the acceleration who scored 44 of 26 sanju samson bowled, uh, batting at 3 scored 48 not out of 32 balls, and took them home. And Steven Smith also had an uh, important cameo of 22 runs. So they effectively won this match very comfortably. When it comes to uh, Sunrise's bowling, there was not a lot to write home about. Al Hasan opened the bowling with uh, Bhuneshwar Kumar, and they were very economical up top, and they kept uh, the Rajasthan Royals batters quiet. But uh, it was not amounting to much in the end, and uh, I think Rashid Khan, who's been very economical this season, continued to do the same. He considered just seven and a half runs an over and took a wicket as well on his four overs. But uh, I think uh, Call was very costly, where uh, he went for 48 runs of four overs, and that could have been a very big difference between the two teams. Mm-hmm. And another small news: Well, AJ Turner. Ashley Turner finally kicked off. He, I think he was on a five duck a spree, and he finally broke it, and wow. he took uh, Ashton Turner. I mean, he took a Reminds
1: ride. me, reminds me of Ajit Agarkar. Yeah, Remember
2: yeah. yeah. That? <laughs> well, I mean, he has a dubious record. He was called Bombay Duck for a reason, of course. Yeah, of indeed. Course. That was one of the first matches we would like to review. The second one uh, was when well RCB lost to. Uh, De- Delhi Capitals at Kotla, right? So this meant uh, Delhi Capitals qualify for the knockouts. And by winning against RCB at this point in time, they topped the table. So they overtook Chennai Super Kings and topped the table. And RCB are, well, effectively knocked out, let, let me put it like that. But I think we'll we'll discuss this a bit later where uh, you know we'll discover that RCB are actually knocked out. But if you were to quick, quickly take a look at this match between Delhi Capitals and uh, RCB, it happened at Delhi. And batting first, um, Delhi Capitals ma- managed to score 187 for five. This was a very, very good total on this pitch. It was well above par because um, they uh, were, well, uh, Shikhar Dhawan started very positively and along with uh, Prithvi Shaw. And uh, then Shreyas Iyer took over. Uh, so Shikhar Dhawan and Shreyas Iyer made 50s. And then in the end, Shafi and Rutherford uh, hit a rapid 28 and took them to 187. When it comes to the RCB bowling, uh, Umesh Yadav uh, took one for 39 of his four overs. Washington Sundar opened the bowling with him and took one for 29. Yuzvendra Chahal, who's been very economical or more or less been very reliable for his captain this season, took two for 41. And uh, Sani, who's also been economical, took one for 41. This meant, you know, they had a very tough chase, RCB. They did, did their best. So Parthiv Patel and Kohli opened and they provided them a good start of a 63-run partnership well under seventh. Uh, six overs almost. So Parthia Patel was the first to be dismissed for a 20 ball 39. And Kohli was playing sort of a holding role, uh, scoring at just 135, making 23 runs. But number three, number four, and then on, there were not a lot of contributions there. A.B. De made 17. Shivam Dubey made 24. Klassen couldn't get going and just scored three. Gurkirat Singh and Marcus Toynes tried their best at the end, but there was too much to do. Gurkirat Singh made uh, 19, ball 27, and Marcus Tonis made at 24, ball 32. But uh, in the end, RCB fell 16 runs short, and uh, they lost this match. And for, when it comes to bowling, Kagiso Rabada took 2 for 31. Amit Mishra has been uh, doing really well in this IPL, and he took 2 for 29. And Akshar Patel, who, bowled, who opened the bowling with Ishan Sharma, took 1 for 26. right And Sheshwan Rutherford showed his uh, all-round skills, not only complementing his batting with some uh, medium-fast bowling, and he took uh, a wicket in his one-over, right? He took the important wicket of David Villiers. So when you look at it, it feels like, you know, uh, the Jeffy and Rutherford uh, could be the next, uh, well, we don't know if he'll be the Andre Russell, at least he could be the next um, Carlos Brathwaite one feels. What do you think?
1: Well, I haven't seen him play, actually, so look mm. forward to uh, seeing him back. Right. Um, yeah, interesting. They they have this crop of players, you know. <laughs> They're coming in waves, as it were. Mm, mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, interesting times ahead. I, I hope he's going to bolster uh, the West Indian uh, Limited Oversight mm-hmm. in in the coming uh, years after, uh, you know, a stalwart like uh, Chris Gale retires after the World Cup.
2: I mean, this guy looks like a mid-lowers uh, batter. Now, he may not be able to open, but we never know. I mean, some there have been some very good converted uh, mid lower batsmen who became... Yeah, Rohit Sharma, for
1: example.
2: <laughs> indeed. Another, one, yeah, another yeah. one. Indeed. So, if you look at... Uh, well, one of the next matches we would like to quickly take a look, of course, is uh, RCB versus uh, RR. That is, uh, Challenges Bangalore, they were playing at home against Rajasthan Royals. And this was a very crucial match for both teams. I mean, uh, a result in this match would have been very important for both teams. But unfortunately, this match got washed out after they sort of uh, opened or they kept waiting until the very last moment the match could be started with five hours apiece, right? So RCB batting first scored 62 for seven. They never got going. Kohli made 25 runs of just seven balls. But, uh, you know, they decided to open with uh, ABD Villiers in place of Patel, Parth- Parth- Maybe it, but it might not have been the right thing to do and they somehow never got going and they finished 62 for 7 with uh, shreyas gopal who bowled only one over who bowled the second over of the innings actually took a hat trick and uh, his it was a very interesting uh, sort of uh, over i don't know if you saw this giri no i didn't catch i mean i was able to catch uh, the reply uh, or let's say the shortened version of the game and in this case uh, his first three balls were 6 4 and 2 and his next three balls were wicket, wicket, and wicket. So as a result, he took a hat-trick. So the people or the batters he dismissed were kohli ABD Villiers, and Stoinis. So it was a fantastic, fantastic uh, polling from uh, Shreyas Gopal, who is uh, showing his uh, home team. You know, he, represent, he represents Karnataka in the first-class setup. Yeah. He's showing them what they're missing as he took a hat-trick. So uh, that sort of restricted, uh, you know, RCB to just 62. But then when uh, Rajasthan Royal started their reply, it was going well for them, because Sanju Samson uh, scored 28 of just 13 balls, and D.M. Livingston was 11 not out of seven balls. So sort of it looked like they could chase this down, but uh, the rain intervened, and as a result, the match got abandoned. What this means effectively is that um, RCB are knocked out. Right? So RCB have almost lost all chances, including mathematical chances, to qualify, right? Yeah. And Rajasthan Royals' own chances hang by an absolute thread here. Uh, a victory here for them would have really helped, right? But unfortunately, they couldn't get it. So, well, uh, the only good uh, thing to take away from this match was that Shreyas Koppal took a hat-trick. Outside of that, it was a real uh, washout. It was a real, you know, fans kept waiting in the stadium. And the stadium was still about three-fourths full when the match was resumed. But it still didn't matter, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, the match could not be finished. Um
1: yeah. yeah, I think I think uh, we have to see if I think RCB have one more match against uh, Kings XI. Mm-hmm. No, is, is that Sunrisers? I think. So So, yes. can RCB salvage something out of that and not finish, you know, uh, plum last basically in the table? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that remains to be seen. Uh, mm-hmm. That that match mm-hmm. is placed on uh, Saturday, uh, as right. I understand. So we we will uh, we'll see what happens. I think we'll cover that in our next episode. All right. Uh, But I think RCB probably needs a lot of changes for next Mm. season. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a guy like uh, Shivam Dube, for example. They paid, I think, uh, in Indian rupees, there was about five crores. Wow. That's a lot of money for that guy. And then he played, I don't know in how many matches, maybe two or three matches. Mm. Uh, Mm. And he couldn't even make an impact. I think he probably batted too low in the batting order. Mm. So Mm. some changes there. I think those... uh, those, uh, yeah, those buys that they had, right? Uh, also, Hetmeier, he was mm. underused, I think. Mm. Mm. Um. So they, they need to think really hard. And Stoinis was not available for the first part of the, um, for the for the for the for the initial part of the, their campaign. Mm-hmm. He was only available, you know, in the middle, and then he's now gone again. I think after this match, uh, for uh, uh he's, he's back on Australian duty, I think. So mm-hmm. is Warner uh, for Sunrisers, of course. Right. Right. Um. So. So they, they need to check all these things, and they probably need to give a lot more, uh, uh, they need to inject a little more home talent, I would say. You know, Shreyas gave, Gopal Pro was probably making a case here in mm, front of his mm, home fans. Right, uh, right. They already have Yuzvendra Chahal, of course, but uh, then again, you know, you, you really have to look harder. I think Sangakara mentioned this in one of his uh, analysis. I think maybe even three or four weeks ago. When, I see. When RCB I see. had lost three or four matches in a row. Uh, he said they don't have enough Karnataka players. They don't have people uh, from the local region. So they, they have good foreign players like ABD Villiers um, mm-hmm. and now also Shimron Hetmeyer. But then again, I think Gary Kirsten, uh, I don't know if he'll remain the coach for next season. He probably mm-hmm. will. Uh, mm-hmm. If he does, then he has a lot of thinking to do. Uh, I mean, I for one am uh, a believer that Virat Kohli should not be given the captaincy of this team. They should promote someone else and let Virat Kohli just focus on his batting. I think he has enough to do already with the Indian cricket team. He is the captain of the limited oversight there as well as the test team. Um, so he, he probably needs a break as well. I don't know how uh, fresh he is for the World Cup after this IPL campaign. Maybe it's good for RCB that they don't qualify for the eliminators. Otherwise, they would he would probably need to play a couple of extra matches so I see that way but a lot of thinking to do for RCB I don't know Um, they they need to do something for next season otherwise they will keep languishing there at the bottom
2: I understand no no I think you're right they got their team selections wrong they also got their let's say the structuring of the entire team wrong probably the balance of the team was not right correct and the other thing is that you know we keep discussing who's the other potential person that can take over um RCB's captaincy if it were to be not you know uh, Virat Kohli we yeah. earlier uh, thought of you know somebody like maybe Moin Ali and you, we always know A.B.D. de Villers is sort of a reluctant captain mm. there is another person here we've obviously ignored he's been doing well this season Parthiv Patel
1: yeah i mean it's, it's
2: it's it sort of comes out of the blue i know but this guy has extensive captaincy experience at all levels in the industry domestic uh, indian domestic cricket Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say he could still be, you know, taken on as a option if required next season. He's also been a very good performer this season, right? Yeah. So as a result, I mean, that would be a good way to uh, for RCB to take uh, this forward, I would say. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you were to just quickly take a look at the upcoming matches, I think... There's a match between uh, KKR and uh, Kings 11's Punjab. So this is going to be very crucial for both teams again, very much like what happened between, you know, Deccan, uh, sorry, uh, Rajasthan Royals and RCB. So sort of both their uh, qualifications. Uh, angle I don't this... know why
1: you like Deccan Chargers so much, Ajit. I myself don't know.
2: If I ever <laughs> were to come across this uh, myself, right. I'll try to, well, we can talk about it. If... No worries. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Going on with our next section, uh, now with the World Cup team preview section here, uh, today we are going to preview England, who are one of the favourites for the World Cup. They are playing their home World Cup, of course. And uh, to help us uh, review the England team and their chances at the upcoming World Cup, we are welcoming back Nakul Pandey, who will be from Guerrilla Cricket, who is joining us again. Hello, Nakul. Thanks for joining the podcast.
0: Hi there, Ajit. Uh, good to, uh, to see to you again.
2: I, I understand you're also... Preparing uh, some stuff for yourself. After all, gorilla cricket has some uh, important uh, stuff tomorrow, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we certainly do. So we're recording this on the eve of England's One Day International against Ireland in Malahide. Uh, so I'm uh, doing my statistical preparations uh, for that game, particularly focused on the uh, on the Ireland squad. Although the England squad is uh, a little bit new look from uh, from certainly from what it'll be at the World Cup. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of players auditioning for uh, for spaces, but yeah, uh, I'm uh, doing my my pre-game prep.
2: Indeed, indeed. I mean, I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, the commentary tomorrow on Kerala cricket, and I don't care whether it rains or not. But I'd rather hear the game called. But otherwise, I'm <laughs> I'm happy to hear the waffle waffling yeah. going on. I really like it, yeah. guys.
0: Yeah, I I would imagine I imagine this will be going out after that game. But the the latest forecast we have is it will be cold but dry.
2: All right. That's, that's then a typical, uh, typical, let's say, May day, I'm sure. Um, I started my season this uh, last weekend and we had a practice game and, ah, well, I could feel the chill in my bones, really. So <laughs> I wish you all the best. Uh, all right, then. Going on. So um, maybe we can take a quick look at the, you know, the historical perspective of how England have done uh, in the World Cups, right? So... England have been one of the stronger teams at the World Cups. They have finished runner-up thrice. So we know 79, 87 and 1992, right? And, well, the first three World Cups were also held in England. So they have had some home condition experience previously. So I think also as the upcoming World Cup is also going to be held in England, they start as home favourites. And also for a change, their team is really nicely peaking, isn't it, Nako?
0: It certainly has been over the last... Well, since the last World Cup, really, since Owen Morgan uh, took over the captaincy in the wake of the disastrous 2015 World Cup, from that New Zealand series when New Zealand, led by Brenda McCullum, came over and kind of showed England uh, a potential uh, template for for how to play, is that uh, in terms of being hyper aggressive, in terms of uh, having having very clear roles and having a real a real freedom uh, within the within the squad. And that's been very carefully built by England over the last four years under Morgan's leadership uh, with, with Trevor Bayless and Paul Farbrace behind the scenes Uh, as well uh, with some, some news in recent time has people looking for things to panic over as ever. Um, That sort of uh, that perennial thing of England potentially looking for reasons to panic before the world cup. They've gone into world cups before where up until a few yeah, maybe a few months before, or a few weeks before, mm. they've been mm. they've been going one way, uh, and then they've had sudden last minute panic changes. Uh, I think a lot of that is native English pessimism, or latent English pessimism, uh, rather. I think uh, that thing that uh, a lot of sports fans will be very familiar with is that they have a just general sinking feeling uh, whenever it comes to the possibility <laughs> of their team winning anything. But right. I, I right. think uh, I think a lot of these issues will. Resolve themselves. Some of them, um, particularly the ones that have made the news over the past couple of days, uh, will be will have to be resolved in other ways. But I think the the minor injuries to the likes of Jason Roy and the uh, the resting of some of the IPL players, I think that'll resolve itself. And England are a, a very strong team. This is the this is the best one day team that England have ever produced, and they've they've shown the way for the, for the other teams that will be uh, trying to take this
2: World Cup. Indeed, indeed. So from a historical perspective, England have uh, played 73 matches at the World Cups. They have won 41, they have lost 30, and there have been two no-results, right? And uh, of course, uh, we all remember the famous finals, the 79, 87, and 92. Each of them are famous for their own reasons. But if you were to look back quickly at the finals, you know, the first one is, well, the 1979 final where the West Indies were sort of beginning to hit their stride, and uh, they got caught cold by a certain uh, Vivian Richards, Sir Vivian Richards, isn't it? The 138 in the final. Nakul, do you remember or have you seen oh, any highlights? I, I'm,
0: I'm aware of the, uh, well, 75 was the the, uh, the first World Cup final, kicked off in less than auspicious fashion by one Mr. Sunil Garvesgut. Uh with, uh-huh. his, with his now legendary goals, slow. low. Uh, but yeah, 75. Viv uh, Richards um, tormented England in in World Cup finals, along with Collis King um, and a and a famous uh, famous fighter by uh, for Joel Garner bowling from basically so high that he was coming down over the, from the ball was coming out above the sight screen. Uh, but uh, the we were talking about. I was talking just now about how uh, this England this modern England team playing with playing with freedom and playing with uh, real kind of clear aggression. Um, the, the story could not have been more different in the, in the early days. So the um, England set a, a, a really fairly achievable total in particularly in 60 overs. And then, yeah. but uh, brilliant boycott batting uh, in a manner, completely not suited to the, uh, to the circumstances. And mm-hmm. uh, once, once they got out, uh, the pressure was, on the middle order, to the extent that they just had to swing at everything, and players weren't as good then as swinging at everything uh, as as they are now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Gooch did his bit. I think he had uh, scored uh, 32 runs at almost 115, which is unheard of in those days, I'm sure. But mainly. The lower middle order, middle, lower middle order of David Gower, Botham and Larkins and Phil Edmonds, they couldn't do too much. And as a result, you were right. I mean, they were already facing at eight and over. And in those days, probably eight and over or nine and over was unheard of. Right. So another thing, there is a um, uh, urban legend isn't there uh, about the final that um, I think Clive Lloyd dropped a catch of uh, Jeff Boycott pretty early on. It might have been in the slips of the gully. I think he was more gully fielder. Right. Lloyd, uh, they say he may have dropped it on purpose. But yeah,
0: I I have seen the footage, and uh, Clive Lowe was a very safe pair of hands, and it looked a, a, a very achievable drop by his standards. Uh huh.
2: Uh huh.
0: I don't I think it's pretty difficult for a cricketer to get that instinct out of them to just catch the ball as it comes to them. I think dropping a catch on purpose seems unlikely. Whether he was just in, in the back of his mind uh, thinking that maybe don't go at it with uh, just something with. He was, he was just subconsciously holding back a little. We will never know, but it uh, it was of some benefit, I think, for the West Indies that Boycott and Brearley's partnership lasted as long as it did.
2: Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, they batted for almost, uh, you know, uh, I think the best part of uh, nearly 35 overs, almost uh, 37 overs or 40 overs, and they had only 129 on the board. So that, that was a killer there, I think, right? Anyway, I mean, also, of course, you can't take too much away from the way the West Indians bowled, especially the big bird, Joel Garner. I think uh, Colin Croft had a 3 fur and I think Michael Holding had a, a 2 for at, you know, a, a 2, run rate of 2 actually, so that, that's all quite, very really fantastic bowling, and they had to get through 60 overs, I mean, 120 overs in a day as well, it was a long summer day, for sure, still, I mean, I think it was the summer solstice, but still, I mean, uh, if you can imagine, such a such a you know 120 days. We can't 120 hours in a day. We can't even imagine that these days.
0: No, no, particularly with four fast bowlers and four fast bowlers with uh, proper long run-ups. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. indeed, indeed. All right. So that was the 1979 World Cup. When you go on to the 83 World Cup, well, it was a slightly different story. This was in the subcontinent, in the in Col, at Kolkata, and uh, I think. Australia sort of surprised England. England were the form team going into the final. I think they, you so. might have
0: jumped to eighty-seven. Eighty-three was also in eighty-three England. was a Eighty-three was in England.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I was just going through the next World Cup where they made the final. I was looking at their best performances, but uh, sure. So in the eighty-seven World Cup, uh, I, w- I was talking about the eighty-seven World Cup final where they played uh, Australia. What are your thoughts on those? Do you remember anything much about it?
0: Uh, my that one hasn't that one hasn't quite achieved the, the legendary status of uh, of uh, of 79 and or, or of or 92 particularly because of the, mm, mm. Uh, because of how vivid those uh, those color photos those color photos are but it's uh, the the infamous reverse sweep I believe is the is the uh, really the, the thing that is that would stand out to English cricket fans of a certain vintage.
2: Right, right, right. I mean, uh, Mike Gatting, the skipper, right? He was going at 90, and I don't know what he was doing when he reverse swept under squat by the keeper. Bowling of border, if I'm not wrong, right?
0: Yeah, that's right, and it is you wouldn't necessarily think so much of it. Now, Mike Gatting was a very good of spin, but the reverse sweep was not uh, a shot that many people would have practiced,
1: mm. Uh, mm.
0: and then Gatting was good on the on the orthodox sweep, the, powerful, the power sweep, and also good down the ground, but... Uh, I think it's it's one of those. There's a there's a there's a thing called defensive decision making, whereby hmm. you rather than doing the thing that is more likely to get you uh, the the results, you will you will do the thing that will make you look least bad if you fail at it. Ah. And I think and I think so. You get more stick, uh, more criticism for trying something unorthodox and failing than trying something orthodox. And failing.
2: Right, right, right. Uh,
0: I think actually Mike Gatting could be somewhat applauded for, uh, for going against that uh, hmm. if he manages to get a little bit more on it. And, and you know, it it goes for four and, uh, and it goes on. You know, that's one of those sort of cricketing sliding doors moments. But um, yeah. I think it's, it's uh, an execution error as much as anything. Uh, but I think the fact that it's become such a, an infamous moment in in English right. uh, in English cricketing folklore, mm, and you, mm. you you can say the reverse the getting reverse, and so people will know what you're talking about. Um, exactly. I think it's because of it sticks in the memory more because it was an an orthodox thing, particularly then.
2: Mm, mm, mm. All right, all right. But, you know, also, I think his partnership with Lamb was very crucial, and they were scoring at a very, very good rate, because initially Bill Athey had sort of eaten up a few of the balls, but him and Graham Gooch had laid the foundation that was capitalizable, so to say. But again, the sort of lower middle order, I think Peter Downton, John Embury, Phil a um, so, uh, once Lamb and Gatting got out, I think uh, they did their best. There are a couple of uh, decent contributions down the order, but they couldn't get them across. So, that was a very narrow loss. I think this will really sting. I mean, this was probably the closest England have come to the cup. Uh, and this loss by seven overs, seven runs would probably hurt them a bit because Australia um, weren't all that good and they didn't have uh, all, the, all that many great bowlers. There was great McDermott and there was... You know, Bruce Reed opening the bowling. There was Simon O'Donnell. There was Steve Waugh as the sort of bowling all rounders. And then you had Tim and Alan Border. Uh, there was no Glenn McGraw or or any one of those, you know, legends, so to say, that was in that uh, batting bowling lineup. Probably that's why England fancied themselves as well. This was a bit of a downer, right?
0: Sure. It's, it's, it's long before that dynasty that won those consecutive World Cups established itself. And it's yeah. long after Lillian Thompson. Had retired. It's the beginnings of Alan Border uh, moulding that team of, uh, of players picked, perhaps more on more on uh, a character and an ability to uh, to play to the team ethos than uh, mm, than, mm. Uh, than anything else. You know, they're more perhaps prodigiously talented players who uh, who didn't get as many chances as they as they they should have done. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Ian Botham's on record saying that he thinks 92 is the best chance they ever had, because he thinks they were the the best ah. uh, the best team at the time, but 87 uh, is also a good candidate.
2: Right, of course. But, I mean, then we move on to 92. Well, this is uh, Pakistan's greatest moment uh, in one day, or so, I think. Uh, even surpassing their Champions Trophy victory from recent years, because, I mean, uh, they won the World Cup, and uh, an ageing, nonetheless, a very uh, powerful Imran Khan led them to the World Cup. and Well, they made only 249 in the final and that was sort of slightly under par, if anything, right? Because I remember um, I remember a bit of the final, I was watching it, I was very young, but I remember that there was a stranglehold that sort of uh, Pakistan uh, had over England in the middle of middle overs because Neil Fairbrother was the only guy doing anything. The England top order failed a bit, chasing uh, 250 to win. And uh, well, at least Botham, who was usually successful, more successful with the bat in the tournament than the ball. Uh, could not get going. And then uh, Graham Gooch and um, I think Graham Hick put put, put on a small partnership, but basically the top four sort of had failed. And then it fell fell upon Neil Fairbrother and again Alan Lamb. Probably he could have done something, something redeeming, uh, but he only could make 31. Then again, the lower middle order, Chris Lewis, Dermot Reeve, Derek Pringle. Uh, These guys couldn't get them home. It was too much in the end, right? Do you have any more to add? Uh, Any nice memories?
0: Yeah. the, the, the famous um, sort of turning point of that game is the, the deal, the consecutive dismissals of Alan Lamb and Chris Lewis by, uh, by Vasim Vass- by Akram, uh, an absolute exhibition. Um, yeah. Particularly yeah. the one to, to Alan Lamb, the one from round the wicket. That uh, it's, it's even looking at it, and I've, I've watched it many, many times. Uh, even looking at it, even when you know what's going to happen, it looks impossible. Yes. So For someone um, to be able to move the ball that much, yeah. uh, coming in from that angle, uh, coming in from round the wicket, it it's not just one that it doesn't just come in and hold its line. It comes in and actually moves away. It's almost yeah. unplayable. Uh, it,
2: was and, you know, uh, it was a fast leg break.
0: It was uh, a fast leg break. It was a leg break at Probably, there wasn't really a speed on, but probably must be ninety miles an hour, close to. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I think he was very rapid. He was on the other side. Yeah, of the, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and you know, Wasim had the, so many things that made him. So difficult to play, the fact that he he hit a very short run up. He had a very quick arm. He would come up kind of from behind the umpire, and then next ball he gets Chris Lewis with the with the booming in swinger. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a little capitalising on um, on the good work of the of the Pakistan uh, sort of medium paces and spinners. And Mushdak Ahmed uh, was was brilliant throughout that uh, throughout that tournament. Um, it's also interesting actually. I was watching uh, a little bit of that. Uh, final on on YouTube for for other sort of research reasons and Richie Benno is talking about the fact that Inzamam actually goes off the field at some point. My um, uh right. slimmer Inzamam, and he, he's saying that <laughs> it's weirdly prophetic actually that uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, this might be something that Inzamam has to look out for I mean, over right, the course of his right. career. I mean, he made a damn good career despite all that, but uh, mm, but yeah, wow. uh, that was a. Uh, It's a little bit of a case of just everything came together for Pakistan in in the way that uh, has been uh, in a way that's become sort of legendary. They really were struggling through the through the tournament. They uh, they were not the form team going into the tournament. They recalled Imran Khan, who was almost 40 by that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they were within a few overs of going out of the tournament at one point uh, in the group stage and then came through, built that momentum. Uh, mush the Ahmed clicked into gear they had uh they had Vassim at the height of his uh, certainly they had his speed if not necessarily the his uh, his skill mm, uh, mm, and mm. england were a lo- a little bit reliant on um on that top order um you know a lot of one day teams have been both of them were certainly waning by that point he was only had a couple of years left of his career his bowling certainly lacked the uh, the venom uh, of old he was this was in the phase of his um of his trash get wickets or the trash get wickets, uh, phase of his career. Uh, right, right. Um, and they tried to use him as a pinch hitter kind of up the order and it didn't, it didn't work quite as well as, uh, as it could have done. But that, that was a, an England team full of big names and full of, uh, full of very good players you know Lamb and Fairbrother were a little bit ahead of their time in middle order, but, uh, it didn't come together for, for all of these reasons.
2: Right. Right. It's absolutely right. I mean, uh, also, one can also remember the spell Derek Pringle had at the beginning, you know, 10 overs, 22 for three in a World mm-hmm. Cup final. It's fantastic that that had eight extras in those three whites and five no balls as well. So, I mean, it's it's a fantastic spell. And you're absolutely right there. Uh, Akib Javed sort of complimented him by taking 10 overs, 2 for 27. Right. But then around him were Wasim Akram and Mushtaq Ahmed. And of course, uh, I think Imran Khan sort of chose to finish it off. It was it wasn't it wasn't going to be one of those IPL finishes with 26 or 28 required in the final over, and It it was going to be sort of a definite Pakistan victory, and he ensured that by taking the ball, right, in the final over. So yeah,
0: that's right. It is it kind of as ever, uh, Imran, ever the man for the uh, for the big moment.
2: Indeed, indeed. Exactly. So, I mean, that leaves England really sort of like there if you look at their overall record, as I was saying, um, they have been quarter finalists um, three times. They have been semi-finalists three times. Ah, sorry, semi-finalists two times and finalists three times. So, you know, they're very strong. They're all the time very strong, uh, except, uh, you know, they have not been able to win. So this is more the case of a, um, a bride's ever the bridesmaid, never the bride sort of yeah. situation.
0: It's interesting you characterise it that, that because that isn't the that isn't the impression of England that I have as a, as a World Cup team and so, um, this this may be recency bias uh, playing but really since from '96 onwards they've largely been awful. Uh, they've had some '99, uh, mm. 2003 and 2015 were absolutely atrocious. 2011 they got through the group stage a little bit luckily they had that tie against India and yeah yeah 2015 was the worst of the lot they've been. The, for various reasons, they, they've been quite a decent One Day International team up until uh, up until 2013. They got to the final of the Champions Trophy, lost that in bizarre circumstances. Still, mm-hmm. but they had a they had a strong side. They had uh, they had Jonathan Trott, who has a superb One Day International record. His strike rate doesn't stand up to modern scrutiny, but he was averaging 50, which is uh, right. which is no mean feat. They had Kevin Peterson, they had Graham Swan mm-hmm. uh, bowling bowling very very well, mm-hmm. but then that uh, the, the team that went to Australia and got whitewashed just broke apart completely. Right. Uh, right. And then the rebuilding took an awfully long time. I uh, mean, Alistair, Alistair Cook stayed on as captain for far, far too long. We, yeah. we, we still have a, a very vivid sense memory on guerrilla cricket of doing the seven match, one day international series in Sri Lanka, which is yeah. Alistair Cook's last series as, as, captain. And just, it was just turgid. England just had no clue uh, mm-hmm. and just found ever more ridiculous ways to this game and bring in Gary Balance, who has a List yeah. day record, but uh, was never able to make the step up to, uh, to one-day international cricket and just mm. uh, and had a bowling attack that was just cannon
2: fodder. Right, 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 right. I mean, yeah, I think that they were going through some uh, some troughs at that point in time, I think. And I definitely agree, probably Alistair Cook could have stepped aside a bit earlier and maybe it would have helped his one-day career if he had stepped aside for another man to take over. And, yeah, I mean, it's a lo- it's a longer discussion for sure. But, yeah, I mean, now if you were to just quickly look at their, uh, you know, the star performers uh, when it comes to batting and bowling in for England, uh, there are a couple of bolters in the top five. But uh, I don't know if you've had a look at the list already. Uh, would you ta- care to guess who's the most uh, successful batter for England in the World Cups?
0: In the history of World Cups? Yes. Graham Gooch?
2: Yep. Right in one, but then uh, the rest of the top five is very interesting because I can tell you there are no current players in there. But that no. might not also be much of a surprise. But can we go through quickly with you? Who do you think is two? Alex Stewart. Well, he's uh, he's fifth actually. So, but that's that's a very good guess. But it's Bell at two. Ah, oh, right? okay. Yep. Seven eighteen 20 runs, twenty one matches, and then Andrew you have Strauss? Uh, good guess. But Andrew Strauss is not even in the top ten, I think. Uh, but you know, uh, there are Alan Lamb, mm-hmm. and then Graham Hick at 3-4. Sure. And then you have Alex Stewart rounding out the top five. Kevin Peterson is just outside that. Then there you have Brigadier Collie Block. Then you have mm-hmm. Gatting, Cover, and Fairbrother. Sort of these are the top ten, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you see the highest scorer is Gooch with 897 runs. The average is not bad, 44.85. But considering that he played from 1979 to 1992... That is, uh, yeah, five World Cups. Uh, that's that's not a great uh, return, I would say. But, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you know, four World Cups, I'm sorry. That, that's still not a very great return. But that's that's how it is. England have always, you know, there are no uh, great um, record makers in England. There are. There is Alistair Cook, he's the first English player to cross 10,000 runs. And for a country that has played 130 years of cricket, that, that's not a great thing. But then it's not like that at all, right, with the England team, which... Uh, that they perform well as a team, rather than you have these standard performers either with yeah,
0: the Yeah, yeah. Usually, I mean, now with with um Alastair Cook and James Anderson, um, mm, mm. with the amount of Test cricket that England play, uh, right. now you know, Anderson could go on for another two or three years the way he's going. He seems to be getting better and better, right. and um, uh, you know, could challenge Shane Warne's record. I think Morrell is a bit of a way off, but I think he could yeah. challenge yeah. Uh, Shane Warne in, in theory, at least.
2: Indeed. Indeed. Uh, now, uh, if you were to go on and look at the England's uh, current squad or the professional squad that ECB has chosen, uh, you can see that they have a very strong bowling lineup. So let's start from the bowling lineup. So you have uh, David Willey, Chris Fox, Mark Wood, Liam Plunkett, and Tom Curran making up the fast bowling stocks, right? Of these people, you can expect, you also can throw Jofra Archer into the mix now that he's been chosen for the one-off ODI. Uh, versus Ireland also the uh, T20 and ODIs against Pakistan. So maybe there's a bit of talk that, you know, one of Tom Curran, Liam Plunkett or David Willey may make way and uh, we may have Joffre uh, Archer take the, this player's place. Uh, it does seem a bit harsh on one of these players, but you never know. I mean, if you were to just think of it in terms of uh, merit, you can expect that Jofra Archer would uh, take his place in this team, right? Uh, going forward, uh, if you were to look at the top order of England, they have such a strong top order. You have uh, Johnny Besto who will open with Jason Roy. Uh, he, they are uh, such a dominating uh, opening partnership that you can expect that uh, most teams would be a bit, a bit wary of them, in the, especially in the opening par play. right? Uh, then you have uh, a, very serene, a very serene or if required an attacking Joe Root who can come out at number three. Following that, you have Oyn Morgan, who comes in at four. And, of course, you have uh, Josh Butler, uh, who's such a maverick player, isn't he? And moving on, uh, what do you think about the spinners, Nako?
0: Moin Ali is incredibly dangerous. Uh, his, his ability to be incredibly fluent from the off. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. and with the ball,
0: mm-hmm. he's, uh, he and Adil Rashid complement each other beautifully. Adil Rashid is a world-class limited over spinner. Uh, yep. A consistent wicket taker at any time of the innings is rapidly developing into a good death bowler. Has arguably yep. the best in the world can't pick, but Marinelli is consistent, very economical, uh, and uh, I think I think those two are, uh, have made a huge difference. Uh, having a having wicket taking the spinners uh, is no team is going to do well in this World Cup without that. And I think we spoke about that uh, mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. about that last time.
2: Indeed, indeed. Then you have the likes of uh, well Jordan Lee, who's been chosen as a backup spinner. Uh, I think his batting also contributes to him being chosen ahead of somebody like uh, Dawson, for example. And uh, when it comes to bowling all-rounders, you always have Ben Stokes who will play most matches. And uh, even though the England skipper might not count on him for all ten overs in an ODI, I think he contributes with enough with both bat and ball so that he deserves his place in the 11. And, of course, uh, whichever one of Wokes, let's say Willie or Tom Curran will play and maybe Jofra Archer, they will also chip in with the bat. So England are pretty much uh, well matched there when it comes to bowling all-rounders in the squad. And also when it comes to uh, keeping, you have Johnny Besto probably as the main keeper or let's say Josh Butler as the main keeper and if required, Johnny Besto can back him up very effectively. Vince has been chosen as uh, the backup batter or backup opener as well in all you can expect that this England squad is very well balanced and uh, will make a very strong claim to winning the World Cup uh, in the 2019 edition okay then Uh, now that we have had a look at England from a historical perspective how they have done in the World Cup and so on uh, shall we get on with uh, their uh, let's say our predictions on how they do in the World Cup Kiri would you like to start
1: yes um, so, as you know, it's a round-robin um, format this time around. There are ten teams playing, so England play nine matches uh, in the round-robin phase uh, before the semi-finals are played. Uh, England start the campaign against South Africa, and then uh, the next match is against Pakistan, then they play against Bangladesh, West Indies, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Australia, India, and New Zealand in that sequence. Um, so England is a pretty strong team. They're ranked number one right now in the world as far as ODI rankings are concerned. Um, the only challenge I see here being posed by any team out of these, I would say is, is by mm. you know, the number two team right now in the world. and That's India. Right. So okay. I'm going to say England and India, that match played at Edgbaston will be won by uh, India. Uh, apart from that, I'm going to say, I mean, I will be fully mm. biased in favor of England here and then say they're going to win the other matches. Right. So eight to one. So eight wins and one loss. Wow. Okay. That's a very <laughs> bullish prediction. Yep. Good.
2: Yeah. Well, for me, um, I would say I more or less agree with you when it comes to how, fav- how good they are and that they're favorites. But for me, the last three matches are going to be very crucial. So, um, I don't really see them being troubled. Well, the first two matches could be sort of slippery peels, but I expect that they will get through it, right? But the last three matches where they play Australia, India, and New Zealand will be very, very interesting for me because also when it comes to how New Zealand may qualify or not, I would say maybe these matches might be really crucial for New Zealand. So I'm going to say England are actually going to win seven of their matches. They're not going to win eight, but they're going to win seven. And let's say, along with the Indian match, I might give them one of these two. Either they are going to lose the match against Australia or New Zealand. But I would still say, uh, for me, there is no doubt about their qualification uh, in the, let's say, to the knockout stages of the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Uh, What do you say, Giri, about whether uh, they'll be able to go on and win this World
1: Cup? I think they have every chance of doing that this time around. They have a very good team. Um, although there are some issues mm-hmm. there, of course. We'll come to that in a bit. Right. right. Um, but I think they are very well balanced right now. I, I I don't think we can think of such a good England team in quite a while, right? I think they have had a good test site for quite right. some time. And this probably is one of the very few World Cups that they have been very strong. Um, if you remember 1999 World Cup, uh, who was the captain then? Was it Nasser Hussain back then? Uh, I think so. Oh, is that, yes. Yeah. So how how good was his team then when they played last time around in their home conditions? Um mm. They didn't they didn't do that well. I think right. they even lost against India there. Um, mm-hmm. So this I think is a very good English team. Um well I would look forward to them at least come to the finals. Uh, I think they, they have a very good chance of you know knocking out the team which they play against in the uh, semi-finals. Mm-hmm. And I think the I, I mean I know you you have some reservations about this format about round robin, but right. I like this format because we get to see more matches from the same team, and they get to play against all you know the teams that have qualified to play in this uh, World Cup. Um, and you might as well play the same team again, uh, one of the right. teams that I played against again, you know, and either in the semifinals or in the finals. Mm-hmm. In, the, mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the other format that we had so far, um, after the 92 World Cup until now, we had something like, you know, two or three, two or four groups where, you know, we, we had two or three matches all in all before they reached something like a super sixes phase. And then that's where they played round robin, sort of, and then they had a... You know I think uh, quarterfinals or uh, semifinals so there was a knockout uh, match after uh, initial two or three matches so there was always going to be a loser at the end of it. but here every team gets mm-hmm. an opportunity to you know uh, uh, get into their own rhythm right so if, if you remember what happened in 2007 World Cup uh, I think Pakistan and India had a terrible time there um, so they were out in the initial phases I think they were not up to speed. And teams like Pakistan, mm-hmm. especially we we keep we, you know we keep we keep telling that they are one of those you know volatile teams who can right. bring a surprise. This might suit them quite well. So we we should keep an eye out for Pakistan. They you never know. Uh, they did the same in 1992. They took a while to you know crank it up, and then once they were there, they were kind of unbeatable, right? So so teams which take a lot of time to you know basically uh, charge their batteries and you know get warmed up. This will suit the. This will suit them. This format. So, and England, well, uh, England are in good form right now. So, I do I mean, I don't see any issues there with them reaching semifinals. And it would be, I think, such a delight for the home crowd if they, you know, win the World Cup. Uh, would be quite an achievement uh, mm-hmm. after the 1966, uh, you know, football World Cup. This could be one of those uh, interesting, or uh, this could be one of those unforgettable moments uh, for this generation.
2: Indeed. Uh, that's a very good point you make. Uh, let's see how it pans out, of course. Alright then. Nakul has also told us his predictions off air, so I would like to quickly summarise them here. He feels that England will win 7 out of the 9 matches and they will finish 1st or 2nd in the after the group stages. Uh, their likely losses will be against India and New Zealand and uh, as a result he feels England will qualify for the knockouts. Also, he feels that uh, England have the wherewithal and the skill set to go all the way in this tournament and win the World Cup 2019. We would like to thank Nakul for his participation in this section of the podcast. Uh, And uh, yeah, I hope he can come back and do another show with us sometime shortly. Do uh, stay uh, tuned into Guerrilla Cricket and uh, do listen to them throughout the summer as they'll be covering the World Cup. All right then. Going on with the World Cup news section, the most important news we have this week is that Alex Hales, uh, who had failed, a, you know, a hair follicle test earlier uh, and had been given a 21-day, uh, let's say, ban by ECB, is now dropped from the England World Cup squad. And we see that uh, Ben Duckett, David Malan, and uh, James Vince have been called up for the various series ongoing in his place and most likely James Wins is the one that is favored to take over his place in the England World Cup squad. Kiri, did you follow this?
1: No, I only followed that Hales was dropped uh, Mm -hmm. and I mean, I haven't gone through all the details here but uh, you know, Hales has been in the news for quite a while, right? He had that incident also with uh, Ben Stokes in Bristol uh, no? Wasn't that at Bristol? Yeah, he was at Bristol. Right. right. So um, I think he he is a good player. Uh, it's a shame that uh, he won't be part of the World Cup. But I I still hope that he has he's given another another chance right. to make a comeback to this squad. Mm. I think he's an essential part of this uh, lineup. But he, he is an opener. I think he's probably a backup opener because uh, right now uh, Jason Roy uh, and uh, who is the other guy? Who is the other opener? Westall store. These two guys have been doing tremendously well for England, so Indeed. I don't see him. I didn't see him as a replacement for either of them, unless of course one of them was injured. So, so backup opener in that case would be James Wins. Mm,
2: mm, mm. Yeah, so right.
1: You're right. Yeah,
2: that makes sense. I mean, just going
1: into it a little bit more.
2: Uh, ECB instituted a hair follicle test pre-season and post-season with all the cricketers that are contracted with them. After Tom Maynard, a very young uh, player from Surrey was uh, sort of, uh, his life ended very tragically after he was found uh, to be enjoying or abusing, whichever way you look at it, some, uh, you know, recreational drugs. As a result, after this, ECB made it a part of their policy to test all players that are contracted with them. And in one such test is when Alex Hales was caught, uh, let's say, uh, enjoying some recreational drug. Uh, but, you know, it really it's really unfortunate, as you say, that, you know, this guy's uh, career has been up and down. He's only now recently made a comeback into the team, having, you know, re- restituted himself and sort of uh, rebuilding his image. But it looks like, you know, he was dropped from the England squad after. Iron uh, Morgan came out strongly in favor of this and said that he let his teammates down. And he was not sufficiently, let's say, remorseful when the news broke. Uh, and he did not apologize to his teammates. And, you know, he was not aware of the kind of impact he, this news would have on his teammates going into the World Cup. That was one of the reasons why I think they chose to drop him. And also, I think uh, Alex Giles has come out and said that, you know, they were unable to talk about it until the news became public. You're saying?
1: Ashley Giles, I think. Ashley. You're absolutely right. Yeah.
2: It has too many Alexes. Yeah, Yeah. too many. So Ashley Giles came out, uh, the head of Mm. ECB has come out and said that they were unable to comment on it until the news became public. But once the news became public, uh, he has revealed that, you know, uh, this uh, positive drug test may have sort of... uh, sealed, Hales' uh, uh, fate when it comes to his removal from the World Cup squad. It's very unfortunate. He's a very talented player, and I hope he shapes up. That's all we can say about it, I guess. Yeah. Right? Uh, moving onwards, we have a couple of interesting pieces of news from the Bangladeshi cricket team uh, regarding the World Cup. So, first of all, Bangladesh have added Taski Ahmed and Farhad Raza. Tashkeen Ahmed, the fast bowler, and uh, medium pace all-rounder Farhad Raza have been added to the Tri-Series in Ireland, which begins next week, Right? So this means um, basically um, they were also, they've also they also added Naeem Hassan, an off all-rounder, Yasir Ali as well, right? So basically they have 19 people they've taken to Ireland because they want to try a few more people and maybe they may make some changes to the World Cup squad, right? We were sort of already predicting that, you know, Tuskegee Ahmed might be a part of the squad and it took us by surprise when they announced a squad without him at least. And um, I think they are sort of trying to remedy that. So uh, all squads really uh, that have been named by the corresponding boards were sort of provisional, effectively, until 23rd of May, right, Kiri? Yeah. So yeah. as a result, uh, it looks like you know they can still sort of fix this or replace a couple of their players in their 15, like just like what England might, what we just discussed. So um, well, we'll see how this uh, ships up or shapes up, going up, going in a couple of weeks now, and. Um, Another important use that comes from the Bangladesh cricket team regarding the World Cup is the format of their jersey. It looks like, uh, you know, uh, ICC had directed them to have an all-green jersey with even the names of the players and uh, the name of the team being in green, in a different green, of course. But uh, the fans of Bangladesh cricket team were not happy to leave out the color red, which is a part of their flag and very instrumental in their, uh, let's say, colored clothing all through, right? And, um, well, uh, so as a result of this, um, Bangladesh team has chosen to retain red in the in mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, jersey design, so to yeah. say. Right? Yeah. Another small news, well, this when this newly designed jersey was uh, revealed, uh, it looks like Al Hassan, who was already in the stadium mm-hmm. uh, as a part of a, you know, pre-season meetup or say a pre-World Cup uh, meetup, uh, so sort of there was some miscommunication going on. And uh, by the time they wanted to take a team photo, Shakib Al-Hassan had already left the ground and returned to his house.
1: Yeah, but maybe it was probably it was. the wrong jersey, right? <laughs> maybe. It might have been the wrong jersey <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, so so I think it's it's all probably OK in the end. I mean, when you look at what Nazmal Hassan, the
2: BCB chief, had to say, he sort of hinted that maybe Shakib Al-Hassan was playing a donna there. Uh, we don't know if that was the case. Because he's just returned from IPL. Maybe, you know, he was recalled from the Sunrisers squad yeah, he played the match. And uh, rightly so, because his team, uh, Bangladesh, lives to play some ODA series in Ireland against West Indies yeah. and Ireland. So maybe, uh, maybe, there may be a case of a bit of a prima donna behavior, but maybe it was just miscommunication. We really don't, mm-hmm. right? That's fine. All right. Um, moving on, the next piece of news is that Shohab Malik has been given 10-day leave based on compassionate grounds. Did you read this?
1: No, I haven't had a chance to look at what happened here, but I just know that uh, he's been given, you know, some time off. Um, Does it mean, yeah, I I hope, uh, I mean, I don't want to read too much into this. I don't know what is going on there, but Mm -hmm. I hope he comes back uh, to the squad, you know, with with a good state of mind. I hope it's not uh, anything serious.
2: Indeed, I mean, given that uh, the way it was announced, it might not be usual backbiting or bickering that we know, but it might be something personal that might be going on. Yeah, so uh, well, let's see how it goes. Uh, Those were all the World Cup news that we had to uh, sort of discuss today, Uh, but going on, maybe we can take a quick uh, look at uh, you know the other news. So, in the other news, uh, we have uh, well. First of all, let's quickly look at the uh, conflict of interest issue with Tendulkar. Uh, Well, Tendulkar has come out with a 14-point response, right? That basically means that um, he has um, responded Mm -hmm. to the ombudsman of PCCI saying that uh, there is no conflict of interest as far as he's concerned because there has been no monetary compensation. He's the Mumbai Indians icon. He's mostly present in the home games, I think. Where he's wearing jersey and you know seen in and around the setup, but he says there is no monetary compensation ever, right? Okay. So well, that was a very long drawn out, uh, almost legally right reply. I will not go into that. What do you have to say about this, kid
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think he is a man of integrity, so I'm not going to question that when he says that. So let's leave it there. Let's right. Leave it there. Right. Right. So um.
2: Next thing is that, well, we saw that uh, Namibia have clinched the WCL Division 2 title. That basically means that, uh, you know, in their match, in the final, they have beaten Oman and they've taken the, they've been crowned as the World Cricket League Division 2 champions. So, this basically means Namibia have won their first ever ODI mm-hmm. uh, because um, they played in the 2003 World Cup, if you remember. Yeah,
1: I remember six, that, yeah.
2: 6 nil. Yeah. there were no matches <laughs> so those are all ODIs, but now that they have regained ODI status, they have celebrated it by winning their first ever ODI as well and yeah. won a final. That was very nice, right? Another small uh, but not so nice news is that well, Sri Lankan cricket have called off the Pakistan's under-19 tour of Sri Lanka. After the Easter weekend attacks, right? Because they want to review their uh, security situation and so on. It's very unfortunate. I really hope uh, Sri Lanka does not go the way of Pakistan when it comes to the player security and other things. Because I know there are some ongoing, uh, let's say, religious tensions and other things going on there. But we really hope they're able to sort it off and this doesn't, uh, you know, bleed into cricket, cricketing uh, relations. Let's see how it goes, right? Uh, The next thing, well, is that, well, Alex Hebburn. Uh, the player who was uh, found guilty on a sexual assault case, uh, has now been sentenced to five years of imprisonment, Giri. Mm. So, regarding this, I think um, a friend of the podcast, Tasneem Samar Khan, has written a very powerful blog article, and we would like to let's say, redirect our listeners and our uh, friends to this article. And she's had some very strong opinions about this. And Nakul also had some very strong opinions about this. He expressed them to me off air, of course. And uh, those that are interested can go read this article. And she she's a human rights lawyer and she's made a very strong case on why this is the right sort of a decision, mm-hmm. right? Going forward, some very nice news. Sangakkara, Kumar Sangakkara, the erstwhile Sri Lankan cricket great, right? Mm-hmm. Still the- is, I think.
1: Uh, He still is.
2: (laughs) And this will uh, do no less, this piece of this, to enhance this, that he's been chosen as the next MCC president. So starting from October 1st, he'll take over as the MCC president for a one-year, let's say, stint, right? Yeah. Uh, And, well, he's the first non-British person ever in the history of the MCC club to you know, begin as a president. So, I think uh, a lot of uh, kudos to Sangakar and our congratulations to him. Kiri.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think befitting, really befitting his uh, personality, and it's a crowning achievement. I think it's probably MCC's uh, gain by making him the president. He's, uh, I know, uh, we all know what what a statesman he is. You know, even uh, outside of cricket. And Indeed. so i wish him all the best or we wish him all the best uh, in this role and i hope uh, you know he, he, the uh, the MCC president gets to do what he can do you know as even as a foreigner right well i mean he's played the, uh, he's mm-hmm. played the game long enough to
2: know at every stage right at every step and also i mean uh, if you've heard a scout lecture or some such you would see what a statement this person is as you yeah. rightly pointed what yeah. a statesman huh? and there are also rumors that on the day he retired from international cricket, he was offered Sri Lankan ambassadorship to UK because he was going to be playing county cricket for a couple more seasons, mm-hmm. and uh, he chose to stay away from that role. But this sort of, uh, let's say, his mindset and his opinions have always been recognised. He's a lawyer; he's a trained lawyer, and I'm sure whenever you see him on TV or whenever you see him, you know, elucidating about any any topic about cricket, you see that you see that uh, statesmanship shine through. As yeah. a result, I think uh, this is the right sort of a person uh, to bring, you know, also they've gone for new blood. He's hardly 40, I think. Yeah. So that's the right thing. I think he takes over from my getting if I'm not wrong. But maybe eh, this can be realistic. But at the end of the day, a, new, a newly retired cricketer being chosen as an MCC president is a right move also from the body that sort of yeah. governs cricket, right? Or rather governs the rules that uh, cricket is played with, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, the next piece of news is uh, well, we are going to clarify, or the player himself has clarified one of the most, uh, let's say, intriguing uh, mysteries that has uh, gone on in cricket in the last twenty years.
1: One of the world's unsolved mysteries,
2: right? Indeed, indeed, it very well <laughs> might be. Shahid Afridi, uh, the Pakistan cricketing great, has revealed in his autobiography that uh, you know uh, he is actually not. Uh, as Let's say 38 or 39-year-old, as we believe, but more like 43 or 44-year-old. So he's revealed that he's actually born in 1975, not 1980, as previously assumed. That mm-hmm. means, well, it doesn't take shine off any of his achievements and his records. But, well, it just gives us more, more uh, let's say, respect for this person because he's 43 or 44 rather than just 39. Mm-hmm. We know the people from that part of the world are very strong, Ms. Bashonet. Uh, you know, Imran had showed it and Gunas Khan has showed it. And this guy just takes it to the next level. He's 43-44. And if you look at his uh, achievements in the latest PSL, he played eight matches, took 10 wickets at a, you know, at a run rate of just 6.74. So his effectiveness is as good as ever. Giri? Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Come to think of it, I think uh, he played that explosive innings um, in 1996 in Kenya, Mm. if I'm not wrong. I think at that time, that was the fastest century. 37-ball century.
2: Indeed. Wasn't that against Sri Lanka? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he announced basically his, uh, you know, uh, himself to the world that he's one of those expl- explosive batsmen. He continued in the same way, I would say, mm-hmm. for many more years. Although not always effective, he didn't always convert his starts into, uh, you know, bigger scores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what Afridi reminds me of is that famous Test match um, against uh, India. In Feroz right. Kotla, right. 1999. Indeed. Himself and uh, Sai Anwar, they were playing so well. Uh, right. I think he opened in that test match, yeah. and I think Afridi may even have scored a century then, if I am not wrong, in that uh-huh. match. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, sorry. What was this the
2: Kumble not... 100? Yeah, matches. exactly. The first innings,
1: yeah. possible. Yeah. So, so I think they were chasing a target of 420, and these two guys had put on 150 or something already. Mm uh india were running out of ideas uh until uh until i think uh this guy uh jay Prakash raised his finger uh, <laughs> well, and out. well there there may have been
2: some merit uh, to the appeal but we will never know
1: right you will never know but yes. it probably yeah i don't know i mean i don't want to comment uh, on uh mm. on a decision that was made on the field and it's now in the record ah, books. Part, yeah exactly it's part, part of thing. the game but yeah it it reminds me of all those uh uh, you know, wonderful innings that Afridi has played. Mm. And 1999, according to his, you know, current uh, revelation mm. would have made him 24, uh, an age right. of 24 back then. So, so he was not uh, <laughs> a 19 year old as he had, you know, made us believe back then, mm. or mm. probably the records, the official records uh, had made us believe. Right. But it, as you said, you know, it's, it's quite, it's such a strong, um, mm. uh, personality strong, you know, physically so strong that he could continue exactly. uh, playing uh, competitive cricket even at the mm-hmm. um, age of 43 or 44. Mm-hmm. Uh, another name that pops up in your head, Ajit? Well, I mean, Mizbah, my, my favorite. Yeah, favorites. but I think his, <laughs> his age was probably uh, the right one uh, right. for a change. Uh, exactly. And I, I think I also read somewhere that uh, Yunus Khan exactly. also had a... A different age than was what uh, than what was uh, you know mentioned in the official records. I think the official records probably say he was born in 1977 or something, mm-hmm. and he was probably two or three years older than that. Mm-hmm. And he also you know if you count those uh, years in, I mm-hmm. think he also played well into his 40s or even very close to his 40. But yes. Yet, yes. Uh, your, uh, well, I mean and... there was a small correction there. I think what happened
2: was uh, when he retired after winning the T20 World Cup. If you remember, yeah, he said that uh, you know this is the <clears throat> let's say the game of youngsters. This was 2009, mm. and he claimed to be around 34 or 35 then.
1: Yeah,
2: and um, PCB insisted he was 31, of course. <laughs> but uh, what happened was that that means when he retired, he was also 40, 40, 41. Yeah,
1: You're absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right? So, and uh, one of the current players right now in the world, mm. another guy who you know we we may not know his real age but official records say that he's 20 years old now mm-hmm. and you know Russia's who we are talking about yeah, not, yeah also yeah. from same region but in, from afghanistan in fact so right.
2: just across uh, a couple of miles on the other side i'm sure but i mean look um he looks like a very mature 20 year old let me put it like this <laughs> yeah uh, but and his cricket and his actions also show that if you hear if you ever heard him speak he sounds really mature mm. i'm not discrediting any 20 year old out there who can't be that mature but this guy has a very mature outlook on life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it shone, it shines through when he speaks. But nonetheless, I mean we'll see. Maybe he has an autobiography coming up in a couple of decades and we know his real age, or if that is his real age. Look, age is just a number. And yeah. these guys, be it you know, Afridi, be it Miss Babish, be it Munis or be it Rashid Khan, at the end of the day, that's what they're proving to us. You know, if you were to follow Dylan Thomas's poem, you know, Rage Against the Night all that, right? So these guys are living proof of that thing. You don't accept aging lightly or you don't accept aging and defeat that, you know, age, which it will defeat all of us. But let's say, you know, these guys are our, uh, let's say uh, we can take inspiration from these guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right. All right. This brings to uh, close all the important news that we want to cover this week that gives us a chance to go on with the trivia question for this week. All right. So in keeping with our uh, tradition of sort of... uh, let's say, asking a trivia question about the team that we discussed this episode. The question for this week is, who bowled the first ever ball in an ODI and who faced it, right? So if you've heard us discuss uh, the England preview section, I think we've mentioned this player a couple of times, at least the batter. So that's the clue you have, right? All right, then. Uh, As always, uh, we say, we keep our fans in our mind when we talk about this, that please talk about our podcast with your cricketing friends. Make our podcast more popular if possible. And if you have any comments about how our podcast is going, get in touch with us, right? You can always get in touch with us through our mail ID, which is gmail.com or our Twitter handle, which is at pod right? We have a Facebook page. You can leave, or, uh, leave us some comments on there or you can also leave us comments in whichever podcasting app you follow. It be Apple Podcasts, Podbean, CastBox, any of these, right? We'll be usually monitoring these and anything you say will be uh, you know received gratefully. Also, you know, we have a very interesting uh, guest joining us for next week when we review India's chances at the World Cup. I hope you can join us for the upcoming episodes and we'll also have some special Uh, let's say, sections in the World Cup once the World Cup begins and we'll be reviewing that in detail with some of our guests. We may have some recurring guests as well, right? So, well, uh, that brings us to the close of this podcast. Having said all
1: that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.